0: Hello, Kaylee family. Uh, Today is Sunday, December 10th, and we find ourselves today in our own uh, version of the Advent season lighting the candle of love today. And in addition to that, talking about love as it pertains to the anticipation of Christmas which is just right around the corner. So if you haven't gotten all your shopping done, now's the time. And if you're worried or stressed about getting all that done, uh, give me a call. We can talk through it because I've got some doozy stories about (laughs) stressing over Christmas shopping. But today we wanna focus on love, which, wow, uh, one sermon is not enough. A lifetime of sermons are not enough to cover the most important concept in all of Scripture, the most important thing in all of the universe, which is love. It's a powerful, amazing thing that uh, can't be described necessarily, and yet we're going to scratch at it together. So we're going to read an unusual uh, Christmas Scripture this week. We're actually going to go to 1 John chapter 4. First John, we think, is a letter written by the Apostle John, uh, much like the Gospel of John. One thing I know for sure, whether or not it was the Apostle John that wrote these or one of his followers, the same person wrote the Gospel of John and First John. They are very, very similar in language and phrasing and in their understanding of Jesus Christ. And so this author has spent a lot of time marinating and meditating in uh, the history of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And probably toward the end of their life, when they're much older and they're very sort of deep and mystical and have a strong foundation in their faith, uh, this is what they've left us, a letter to a church, but addressed fairly generally so that it could be to any church. And so we can read this letter from John to a church like it was written to us. And as we do, we want to hear the truth that this near 100-year-old man has come to believe in his lifetime. So in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7 today. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Now Christ is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. I love the letter of 1 John. It might be my favorite book of the Bible. And it's not because I particularly love all the teachings in it. Some of these uh, teachings are hard and difficult. There's talk about the antichrist and antichrists, which is a whole other topic for another day. Um, There's these ideas of what it means to uh, sin and to know God. And sometimes John talks in such stark black and white terms that it's easy for us to think, oh, we're either in or out. That's how John writes, you're either in or out. But it's important to remember when we read John's writings that John is not talking about forever and for all time being in or out. For John, this is a moment in time, and the next moment could change, and the moment after that could change. And the way I know this is because of what John says in this scripture. It's very interesting to me that John says, Anyone who loves is a child of God, and anyone who does not love, doesn't know god well it's just a fact that all of us in our lives love at some point and all of us in our lives do not love at some point right so there are moments in our lives when we're loving someone or something some creation of god and in that moment we are demonstrating our knowledge of god our our relationship with god but then we have moments where we don't love where we are fearful, where we are hateful. And in those moments, we're demonstrating that we don't have a relationship with God. In other words, the, the strength of our relationship with God is in direct relation to how loving we are, how much we love other people, other pieces of God's creation, whether it be animals or whether it be the earth and the creation around us. We prove the depth of our relationship with God by how much we love and how that love works in the world. But you might be asking yourself, how in the world is this a Christmas story? Why why are we reading this in the middle of Advent season as we prepare for Christmas? And it's not just because the word love appears in here, although I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible on love. But it's because of a verse that probably sounds very familiar to you. 1 John 4 and verse 9 says God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Does that sound familiar? It should because it sounds almost exactly like John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life eternal life right it's literally the same verse just reworked a little bit Uh, much of the language is even the same in the original greek and so it's one of the many ways that i think you know this writer and the writer of the gospel of john are the same writer but it's telling to me that it's a christmas verse in the sense that it says god showed how much god loved us by sending God's one and only Son. You see, none of this matters if Jesus isn't born. And Jesus isn't born if God's Spirit doesn't enter into Mary and through some miraculous event cause her to become pregnant. None of this happens if God isn't sent into the world to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again. It all starts with this sentness. And so this is the ultimate Christmas verse, more important than Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1. This is the Christmas verse that's the most important because it's where it starts. God loves the world so much God sends Jesus. That's Christmas. Christmas is all about love. Jesus is born because God loves us. Mary becomes pregnant because God loves us. Jesus lives because God loves us. Jesus dies because God loves us. Jesus rises because God loves us. You see, it's all about love. And another interesting part about this scripture that I love is that it says anyone who loves is a child of God and anyone who does not love doesn't know God. That's pretty scandalous, my friends, because what that is really saying is that a Muslim, a Jew, a Buddhist, an atheist can know God when they love. When they love with the kind of love that God loves. That's a different kind of love, right? You might be familiar with this if you've studied the Bible over the years. If you haven't, uh, you'll be interested to know in the original Greek in our Bibles, there are three kinds of love. There's what we call uh, philo love or filial love, right? And that's like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the the city of sibling love. And so philo is like uh, family love, this affection that you have for one another. There's also uh, eros love, and eros love is that kind of love that uh, is more romantic, Right? This kind of love you have for your partner, for someone that you're intimate with physically. That's eros love. is where we get the word erotic from. And then there's this other kind of love that isn't talked about much in any of the secular literature of the ancient world. But it is the love that's used most often when speaking of God's love in the New Testament of our Bible. And that is agape love. And you may have heard sermons or Bible studies about agape love, but agape love is this weird kind of love that uh, isn't really family love and it's not really romantic love. It's intense beyond those two kinds of love and it goes beyond those two kinds of love in terms of what it does and how it works. The most famous uh, passage on this kind of love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Or the Apostle Paul speaks of love, and you might remember this at every wedding you've ever been to, right? If I, if I speak in the tongues of angels and men, but have not love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, love is not envious. At the end of the, the beautiful speech that Paul writes here, he says, you know, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. You might remember that. Love is described by Paul, and in other places, this agape love, as self-sacrificial. And so it's perfectly represented in Jesus. Because Jesus commits to live a life for us, not for himself. He commits to die on a cross for us, not for himself. And he commits to, to rise by the power of the Holy Spirit for us, not for himself. He lives this life of self-sacrifice. He gives of himself by giving up his life to wander the Judean countryside, to heal people, to sleep under the stars and eat less and sleep worse in order to serve God's people. And so agape love is best represented as this self-sacrificial love. And what John says in the Bible here is, anybody who looks like that knows God. And anybody who doesn't look like that at the moment is not demonstrating their relationship with God. And that means that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a quote-unquote born-again, believing, Bible-reading Christian to know God and have this love. That's important. What it means is that we can find love in unexpected places, and when we do, we have found God. For God is love. You'll recall I've said over the last few weeks that in the book of Colossians chapter 1, it says that Christ is in all things, and in Christ all things hold together. And this feeds into that same theological understanding that if Christ is in all things, and Christ is God, and God is love, then God and love are in all things. We can find God. In each other and in strangers and in creation. And one of the ways we find God is when we see love. We know this from the uh, the end of this uh, passage. I love this uh, little thing. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. In other words, nobody's ever seen God the the God, the if there were a body or a face or something we could see, no one's ever seen that. God is spirit, but we can see God when we love one another. It's a way to glimpse God, and that's a powerful and beautiful thing. So, I wonder if you might take some time to think about where you have seen God unexpectedly by seeing love unexpectedly. I'll tell you, this is something that impacted my journey of my understanding of the Bible and the LGBTQ plus community. Because for me, when I was a a young college student working at Starbucks and had a lot of friends who identified in the LGBTQ plus community, um, they looked so much like love to me. And I had so many Christian friends that looked so much like fear or hate. And I was a Christian, but just looking at it objectively, I thought, my friends over here, they look like love. They love each other. They love me. They sacrifice for me. um, They don't judge me. They just walk with me through life. And that really hit me hard because I had been taught by my Bible that homosexuality was evil and sinful and destined you to eternal conscious tormenting hell. (laughs) And uh, my experience said something different. My experience said what John says right here anyone who loves is a child of God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. And so that informed a a 20 year journey of studying the scriptures to know that we can be affirming Christians and that we can say it's okay to be gay because anyone who loves knows God. That's powerful stuff, y'all. Now, that said, that same person can also then turn around and be hateful, just like me. (laughs) I mean, I have the capacity to be really hateful when I uh, want to be or when I lose control, right? And we all do. We've all said hurtful things to partners and spouses and uh, parents and kids, things that we regret. And when we do that, we blind ourselves to God. When we love, we take off those blinders and we see God. That's pretty powerful. So again, I just invite you to ask yourself, where have you seen love in unexpected places? Where have you seen love where you didn't expect to see it? And what did that look like for you? One of my favorite Christmas stories is the, the Gift of the Magi. It was written by um, O. Henry, the famous modernist writer. And this story is a really beautiful one, and I'm going to ruin it for you. So if you've never read it, maybe just pause this, come back to it later, look this up, uh, read The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. It's a beautiful story. So spoiler alert, here it comes. Basically, the story goes like this. There's a young married couple... Don't make a lot of money. And both of them have secretly saved all year to buy a very precious and special gift for one another. Really, really, really important. And in the story, it's this really amazing uh, moment where they've saved and they've carefully planned, and one of the husband's favorite things about his wife is her hair. And so he's bought her these beautiful... Uh, hairpins, these bejeweled uh, tortoise shell combs, these lovely things for her beautiful hair. But here's the catch. She, on this day, cut her hair and sold it so that she could buy her husband a very special, precious gift for him. You see, so they've both sacrificed greatly. He's saved up carefully. He's dreamed of blessing her with this beautiful gift that they couldn't afford except for a lot of planning and care. He comes home to surprise her, and her hair is cut off, <laughs> so his, his gift is not going to work for a while. And then he finds out that she cut off her beautiful hair, her most precious asset, in order to buy him his gift. And it's a cute story because in the end they're both laughing about it and it's funny and it's adorable. It's those, one of those moments that's so embarrassing or silly that you just have to laugh instead of be angry that this has happened. And it's really one of those examples of finding love in unexpected places, right? Each one of them sacrificed for the other. And at the end of the day, the gift itself didn't matter. It didn't matter how much it cost or how precious it was, what mattered was that each of them loved one another so much that they were thoughtful and planful and sacrificial to give a gift to one another. Now, I know in the United States that Christianity is often tainted by fundamentalism, and there are movements within Christianity that are opposed to holidays and opposed to things like Santa Claus and Halloween. And you might have that question, is it okay to do Santa Claus if we're Christians? And I'm going to tell you, yes, I think it's okay. I still am a little conflicted about you know, telling our kids stories, um, but I do think it's all in good fun. But the reason I think it's okay uh, to do Santa Claus is because Santa Claus is rooted in a real person. You probably know this, but there was a Saint Nicholas, a Nicholas, a bishop, in Myra, in modern-day Turkey. And this was way back in the 300s, the late 200s and the early 300s. uh, Early, early Christianity. And the traditions vary. There's lots of stories that have cropped up in the 5th and in the 9th century about Nicholas. But they all tend to agree that there was something incredibly special about this man. It seems that he was born into a wealthy family, a Christian family, but a wealthy family. And he inherited all of this wealth. And he had no seminary training or theological training that we know of. But when all the bishops and leaders had come together to try to fill the position of the bishop of Myra, they all came down on Nicholas as being the bishop. One of the reasons for that is because Nicholas used his wealth to bless people and particularly to help the poor. There are lots of different stories you can look up about how he did that. But one in particular is where there were three girls who were too poor to pay a dowry to get married. And so they were going to have to sell themselves in order to make money. And as the story goes, he filled three bags of gold or coins and he dropped them in the window overnight to surprise the girls and make sure they had enough dowry so that they didn't have to sell themselves to make that money. So you can see, you know, the bag slung over his shoulder and he's sneaking out at night and he's dropping him in the window. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like Santa Claus. And that's because that's the idea that we get. So when Twas the Night Before Christmas was written 200 years ago, The author had that picture in mind when they came up with the modern understanding of Santa Claus, someone who's got a bag of goodies and is going to sneak and drop them off at night to bless people. So why is it okay to be Santa Claus or talk about Santa Claus or uh, honor Santa Claus? Well, it's okay because Santa Claus loves people and whoever loves knows God and is born of God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. Anyone who would spend their time and their resources blessing others and sacrificing for others, loving others, is someone we should honor and lift up. And God knows there are enough uh, people that we can quote-unquote look up to in the culture that are not healthy and not loving and not good. I'm not here to trash famous people, but you can name your top three People you followed on Facebook or Instagram or uh, people that you watch on television. They're not really good examples. Santa Claus may not be real, but love is real. And Santa Claus shows love. So today in, in this space, we're going to have Santa here for pictures. And if you're home watching this online, we, we love you. We miss you. We want you to know that uh, we're here for you. Anytime time uh, to walk together in this way of love. So, in this Christmas season, we've gone through peace and hope and now love. It's important to know when we talked about peace, we want to see God in the everyday, in other people, in God's creation, and that'll alleviate our anxiety. When we're looking for hope, we look in the past for God, for God's promises that God has kept To give us hope that God will keep promises in the future. And now we see that we can see God when we see love in the world. So, this week, look for love. Look for it. And you will see God. Amen? Amen.